Thanks for joining us for today's message. Our mission here at Plum Creek is to help you experience intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. Our hope is that what you hear today will impact and challenge you to love God and the people around you in a whole new way. We'd encourage you to check us out online at PlumCreekOnline.com to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we might have for you or for your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through our website, PlumCreekOnline.com slash give or via text. Just text any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. Thanks again for joining us today. We're starting a new series this week, so I'm really excited about this series we've called Enlisted. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 19. That's where we're going to be as we uh, work through this morning's message. Now, I just wonder if, if you're like me, there may be some times when you're evaluating life and you're thinking about um, just, uh, just kind of how things are going and you're thinking about fulfillment and, and the, the things that just like fire you up. And when you think about your relationship with the Lord and all the stuff that spins into the craziness and the complexities of life, I wonder if you ever find yourself in those moments where you begin to think, you know, is there more? Is there more? Is there something else? Am I missing something? Is there something that could help my life feel more fulfilling? Is there something that could help me to be able to be accomplishing maybe even more of what God is wanting me to accomplish? And that's kind of where we want to go with this series. We want to talk about what it means to really be fulfilling God's call in our life and to be living as the men and women he wants us to be. In the 16th century, the Renaissance astronomer Nicholas Copernicus challenged the belief that the earth was the center of the universe. And this was a really big deal. He argued that the sun didn't revolve around the earth, but rather that the earth revolved around the sun. And this began what is known as the Copernican Revolution that turned the scientific world upside down by turning the universe inside out. Here's why I want to talk about that today. Because we need to have this same type of revolution in our lives. Because we have this misnomer and this uh, faulty thinking that the universe revolves around us. As a matter of fact, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? You think about when you're born. When you're born, you're spoon-fed on the front and diaper and cleaned on the back end. And it seems as though everybody is about taking care of you, right? The world seems to spin around you. When this paradigm shift happens, when we come to terms with the fact that the world doesn't revolve around us, man, that can be a pretty tough pill to swallow. And, and you know, if you're two months old and you feel like the world revolves around you, I get it. But if you're 22, that's a problem. If you're 42, that's an epidemic. And so we need to understand what it looks like to have this kind of center of the universe redefined. And at its core, sinfulness is selfishness, isn't it? It's enthroning yourself, your desires, your needs, your plans above all else. You may still seek God in your life. And listen, I know because I've been here. I know what this looks like. You may still seek God, but not first. He might be second or seventh. But in our minds and our hearts, we begin to feel like we're okay because we're still seeking him, but often our lives are not Christ-centric, they're me-centric. It's less about us serving his purposes, and careful here, it's more about him serving our purposes. 
Let me elaborate on this because it's possible that it's not entirely your fault. I think the church could be at fault here too. And let me kind of illustrate it this way. <clears throat> at least I think that it might be this way. I, uh, last November, Pastor Stephen and I had this incredible opportunity to travel to Kenya with a missions organization. It was awesome. And we had a day and a half off. And so we had this opportunity to fly together to the Masi Mara. And uh, this is this wide open expanse that is a natural migration pattern for the most incredible animals in the world. And we got a chance to go on a safari there, which was absolutely awesome. You need to see these vehicles that we, that we were riding in uh, on this safari that, that like every once in a while when you're first doing this, you're sitting in this open air thing like this and you're saying to yourself, hey, are we okay here? Because when our plane was coming in to land into the Masi Mara, I was talking to someone behind me, and I could feel the plane starting to drop, so I turned around to face forward. It was a dirt runway, and there was an elephant down there. True story. I was like, this is probably not great. So we take off. i got to show you a picture of the first animal, the very first animal that we saw once we got out. Isn't that beautiful? It's awesome. Now, just so you know what I'm talking about today, this is how close... That animal came to our vehicles. Check this picture out. That scares me because that is a wild animal. Now, <clears throat> I've seen these guys before, haven't you? You've seen them on TV and in magazines or maybe at the zoo, right? You saw them at the zoo. We saw all kinds of animals. We saw lions and several prides of lions. We saw hippos and giraffes and, and, uh, and rhinos. And we even, true story, if you want to see it later, I'll go get my phone. I recorded a picture True story of a male lion expanding his pride. That's cool, right? That is cool. Now, there's a real, there's a real thrill with being out in the middle of the Masi Mara, watching these animals just kind of grazing along with no fence, no fence, no, no safety, just animals. Want, you watch a pride of lions hunt, that'll get your attention, there's something very different about that experience in being at the zoo. See, at the zoo, everything is safe. At the zoo, we get to see a little bit, but not fully experience the risk and the thrill of being on safari. And I wonder today if churches do to people what zoos do to animals. You see, we come into this cozy environment, and the air conditioning is nice, and Man, we didn't even have to set up or break down this morning like we used to. We can get very comfortable here. We remove a little bit of the risk because we're all here together. For the most part, we're focusing in the same way, minimizing some sacrifice perhaps, and eliminating the element of danger, and we try and tame people in so many ways in the name, in the name of Christ. And all of a sudden, we begin to live as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. And we wonder if there shouldn't be some more to life. We wonder if this is really what God has called us to enlist in. You see, serving God isn't an insurance plan. It's a dangerous plan. With a call to live with an entirely different perspective where the center of the universe is no longer me and is no longer you. You see, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. And here's my heart. My prayer when we end our services together on the weekends here at Plum Creek is that as we dismiss and we pray our last prayer and we begin to head out, that we scare the crap out of Satan. 
Because we understand that that's when we're really going on mission to accomplish what he's calling us to accomplish, where we're sending dangerous people back into their natural habitat to live with focus and passion for Jesus. You see, faithfulness isn't holding the fort. Faithfulness is invading the darkness. And we invade the darkness with the message of the life-changing gospel. And so today, you can see as we begin this series enlisted, uh, my main thought for this weekend is this. God wants me to enlist. And I want to help you understand what that looks like today because we have different perspectives. <clears throat> we need to know what Jesus says about this. God wants me to enlist. Most people in our churches, they think they're following Jesus, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What does is, what is the life that God has called us to live really look like? Jesus was teaching to the crowds, and he was talking about John the Baptist. And some of you will be familiar with John the Baptist. He's the predecessor to Christ in so many ways, foretelling that Jesus was coming. And so he was crazy man, crazy man. It'd be like some dude walking around in Civil War garb telling us about Jesus today. That's like what it would be like. Just like crazy. Guy was crazy, eating bugs and stuff. But Jesus said something about John the Baptist that catches my attention in Matthew chapter 11, the first part of verse 12. Look what he says. He's talking about John the Baptist. He says, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been, and look at those words, forcefully advancing. Now, when I read that kind of stuff, man, I'm like, yeah, it was. And I want to be part of forceful advancement, don't you? I wonder if Jesus was to somehow walk in here today and talk about Doug Miller, if he would say, you know what, because Doug is doing what he's doing, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And I want to high five right then. But I wonder, I wonder what that would really be like if he was going to evaluate where we are. How about you? What would he say about you today? Would he say that, because of the way that you are living your life and the, the things that you are doing, that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. And on a bigger picture, if he was going to commentate about how Plum Creek is doing, would he say that in that valley that I have placed you? Because, because those that call themselves Plum Creekers are living fully enlisted for the cause of Christ, that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. C.T. Studd, like how do you get a better name than that, right? He's a missionary in the late 1800s. A missionary, think about that, 1800s, late 1800s, to China, India, and Africa. And look what he said. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Whew. God calls us to live our lives differently, but when we hear these things, it also makes me wonder if I'm as committed to my enlistment as I should be. In Matthew 19, we talked briefly about this <clears throat> several weeks ago, and I just want to kind of set the tone of the story again because it's going to take us to a place where I want you to see something that we haven't seen before. In Matthew 19, Jesus has this famous interaction with this guy. We don't know his name, uh, but we know that he is called the rich young ruler. And when you hear that, you're like, dude has it all, right? We don't need to know his name. He's rich, he's young, so he's got health, and he's young, and he's a ruler, so he's got power. Like he's got resources. It's like everything. We look at that, and we're like, dude, that's what, that's what we're trying to be, the rich young ruler. That's what we want, and on paper, he has everything. But he comes to Jesus, and he says this, I'm still missing something. I'm still missing something. 
I need you to talk to me about this. And he asks this question, and it reveals a couple of fundamental assumptions. And under, um, some, some, it reveals that his heart didn't completely understand the gospel and what it means to enlist with Jesus. And so in Matthew 19, verse 16, it says this, that, that someone, and that's this rich young ruler, uh, he came to Jesus with a question, and he said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And we've talked about this before. A true misunderstanding of the gospel, what must I do? What must I do? If you're asking the wrong question, it's likely you're never going to get the right answer, right? What must I do? It's never been about what we do. And there's an assumption. There's an assumption that if we could somehow put our lives on a scale, right, and that hopefully, Lord willing, our good outweighs our bad, then we're doing okay. That we're doing okay. But when you do this, you've still got some bad, don't you? And when we look at what Jesus' requirement is for us, his standard is perfection. And in James chapter 2, verse 10, he says, uh, we, we read this, For the person who keeps all of the laws, except for one, even one, is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws. You see, there's no middle ground. If you fail in one area, you've failed in them all. And just to clarify to the point where we understand it together, Romans 3.23 tells us that for everyone has sinned, everyone. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is actually an archery term. We've missed the mark. We've missed the mark. We've missed the moral mark, every single one of us, you and me included. And that, when I think about that, I think as well about something that always catches my attention when I'm doing personal evaluation. And that's even like God cares about our motivations, right? Like why we do what we do. I think even sometimes God cares about our motivations more than he does about what we're doing because that's where it starts. Why is it that we do what we, what we do? We don't necessarily like to think of ourselves as sinners, but the reality is that each and every one of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. But the good news, as we've heard many times before, is that we're made right with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and you see this is the other piece of the incredible life-changing gospel message. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Debt paid in full. And here's what's so cool about this. When you understand the theology of the good news, Jesus takes his account, perfection, and he deposits it in my account. He deposits it in your account so that we can then stand in the presence of Almighty God. And this is what we got to hear today. He doesn't see that we've all sinned and fallen short of the perfect standard. He doesn't see that account. What he sees in me and what he sees in you is Jesus' perfect standard. Now, hey, come on for a second. That's just not good news. That's great news. That's good stuff. And when this has really touched our hearts and we no longer see ourselves based on our failures, but we see ourselves based on Jesus' perfect account deposited deep into my soul that I can stand and be in relationship with the creator of the universe, that motivates me to want to live differently. That wants me to fully enlist because of what Jesus has done. You see, religion is spelled do, relationship is spelled done, and so many of us, and I've done this too, try so hard to do so much to get in God's good grace, good graces, but that's just not the gospel, guys. That's not the gospel. The gospel is his account deposited in mine. This is a big deal. With our sins forgiven and forgotten, what the Father sees is Jesus in us 
cross is never closed. Always, always open for business. So half of the gospel is that we have fallen short of God's perfect standard, but the other half is that, that we, have, we have this incredible life and relationship that has been given to us. And we talk about John 10, 10 a lot, and it, it's an important verse. If you haven't memorized it, you really need to because it describes the enemy's plan, and it describes Jesus' plan and Jesus' teaching. And in John 10, 10, he says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But his purpose is to bring a rich and satisfying life. And so I want to go back to that verse today because that goes back to where we started. Does it ever feel like there's got to be more? There's got to be something else. I wonder if you would describe your life as rich and satisfying because that's what Jesus came to do. But it requires an entirely different perspective, a different way of thinking. And this kind of rich and satisfying life begins when you fully enlist. You see, Jesus didn't just die to make bad people good. He actually died to make dead people alive. That's a big deal. You want me to say that one again? You might want to write that down. Jesus didn't die just to make bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. He wants there to be life that comes out of us, a life that is abundant and full, and that looks different but you're not really going to come alive until we make a choice to die to ourselves. And it was Paul who said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So Jesus is having this interaction with this guy. Remember the stud that was rich and young and he was a ruler. And he was talking to him and the question he asked was, what much did I do to have eternal life and abundant life, the starting now and heading into eternity? And so Jesus said, you got to obey the commandments. And so listen to how this guy uh, responds in, in, in Matthew chapter 19. He responds and he says, I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? And I want to stop here just for a second and see that G Jesus knew where he was going. He wasn't going to be bothered by the little stuff. He doesn't stop and go, oh, come on now, rich young ruler guy. Seriously. My standard is perfection. He doesn't even stop there for a minute. He keeps going. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, then you need to go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus knew where he needed to go with this guy because he knew what his heart issue was. And look at me for a second. He knows what Doug's heart issue is, too. To have the abundant life that he's planned for me to have, he knows what it is that holds me back. And he knows what it is that holds you back, too. And today he wants to take us right to that core issue in our lives. All too often, you see, I believe we're looking at our sins of commission, the bad things that we've done, and we hang our heads and we feel bad about those things, and we forget that his account has been deposited on our behalf. But, you know, there's another type of sins that we don't talk about much, and that's sins of omission. That's the good things that God planned for you to do that you just haven't done. You've omitted them for some reason in your life. You see, potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it, that's our gift to God. There has to be more than going to church for an hour a week, right? If we're going to see the kingdom of God forcefully advancing in our lives, we need to live differently. Are you following rules or are you following Jesus? That sounds a lot like our last series, doesn't it? And that's why this is such a great series to follow, the follow series. Because it helps us to understand in a new way, what it means to enlist. In this rich young ruler, you see, this is where he found his security and his resources, his reputation, his relationship, and his youth or his health. And so often, it's the same for us. 
Everything minus Jesus is nothing. Nothing plus Jesus, that's everything. And that's the message, the good news of the gospel. And Jesus loved this rich young ruler so much. And you know what? He loves you and me so much that he wouldn't ask for anything less than all. He wants all. But here's the problem. When we look at the story of the rich young ruler, when Jesus said you need to go sell everything and then you need to follow me, when you read the story, here's what happens. His head hangs and he walks away sad because Jesus has asked for a lot. And here's why the rich young ruler made a critical mistake because he was looking too much at what he thought he was going to be giving up, didn't he? Instead of what Jesus was offering. And we do the same thing. We look at all this stuff that we think we're having to give up to truly follow Jesus and our eyes are on the wrong on the wrong stuff. In this last series, we, we talked a lot about the disciples and, <clears throat> and uh, their interactions with Jesus and the opportunities to be called to come and follow. And so this, this week, I was thinking about that. And you know, in Jesus' time, historically speaking, during that first century, the furthest that anyone would travel was typically about 30 miles from home base. 30 miles. Think about that. 30 miles. And why would that be? Because you had to walk. So if you think about these men's lives without Jesus, they typically would have gone no further than about 30 miles if you drew a circle out from the Sea of Galilee and spent most of their life fishing. Instead, what did Jesus say? See, we look at what we're going to give up instead of what we get. And Jesus said, look, guys, sign up with me, follow. I'm going to teach you some things. And then here's what we're going to do, just so you know. We're going to go into all the world. We're going to go into all the world, and we're going to turn this thing upside down and the kingdom of God is going to forcefully advance and you get a chance to be part of that. And so a church historian from about 314 that was regarded as an extremely well and learned Christian of his time said this, Peter, he got to go to Italy. That's more than 30 miles. John got to go to Asia. James got to go to Spain. Thomas got to go to India. And here's the truth for them and the truth for us. When we say yes to fully enlist with Jesus, it's about a total life change. And there's a shift from my little tiny world to being just about me to a world that is no longer just about me. And it's an abundant life. And we're able to experience more than we could have ever done on our own. I was talking to Beth about this this morning, like I was just reflecting on some of the things that I have had opportunity to do over the course of 20-something years doing what I do for, for a living. And, and God has taken me to some pretty crazy places that I would have never dreamed possible. Like I'm from Aurora, Illinois. That's like Wayne's World stuff. And I've been all over the world and had opportunities to tell people about the life-changing message of the gospel. And many of you that are here have had the same kind of opportunities. This is incredible stuff. So the rich young ruler, he walks away sad. He was looking at the wrong thing just like we do. We look at what we think we're giving up rather than what we receive in return. And this isn't where the story ends, though. And this is why I had to tell the story again. Because I saw something this week that was awesome. Don't you guys love Peter? You love Peter? He's the one that never thinks before he speaks, and he's a lot like me. And so the disciples are watching this whole discussion between the rich young ruler and Jesus go down, and, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And, of course, they look at the rich young ruler the same way you and I would, like he's got it all, right? Rich, young, and ruler. He's got it all. He's, he's the deal. He's the deal. 
And so Peter, when he gets to go hang out with Jesus after this interchange takes place, he's got a question. I want you to see the question because it's the exact same question that you're asking. It's the exact same question that I'm asking. And so we've jumped down to verse 27 in Matthew chapter 19 and check out good old Peter. He says to Jesus, now Jesus, you know, you called us to follow. Now just point of reference, we've given up everything to follow you. Now look what he says. What do we get? Like the rich young ruler seems to be winning right now, right? He's rich, he's young, and he's still ruling. And he walks away. He might be a little sad for a moment. But listen, Jesus, just, just to remind you, we have given up everything to follow you. I just want to ask, what do we get? And you can almost hear the disciples behind him going, yeah. And if you listen real close, you can hear your voice. And you'll hear my voice going, yeah. What Peter said, Jesus, what do we get? Let's just for a minute pause and think about what the disciples did get. Box seats to every message Jesus taught. Not only that, but a personal invitation to the green room afterwards. Where they could sit and have conversation with Jesus about what he was. We read this stuff and we're like, wow, that? Boy, that would have been cool to be there. They were there! Or you read one and you're like, gee, man, I wish I, wish I could talk to Jesus about like what he was talking about on that. They did! Not just... Not just did they get box seats and personal invitations to the green room, they got field passes to every single miracle Jesus performed. And if you're like me and you read the Gospels, you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see what Jesus did and how he touched lives and crazy stuff happened and control over nature and people getting healed and all that, you're, you read those stories and you're like, wow, that is awesome. Wish I could have been there. They were there. Now get this, they didn't just get invited to stand on the field, their coach often sent them in the game to experience the miracles firsthand. They got to eat miracles. Can you imagine giving the lame guy a hug when he's dancing? Can you imagine going, hey, to the blind guy? Whoo, that, how many fingers, you know? They got to fully experience the miracles that Jesus was performing. How do you put a price tag on that? You see, we get caught up in the same things that the disciples did in our culture, the same illusion or delusion, we might say, that the rich young ruler and that Peter did, and we spend the bulk of our lives trying to accumulate the wrong things, thinking that the person that dies with the most toys wins. Listen to me for a second. This is big. I've not seen as many people possessed by a demon. I have seen a few. But I've not seen as many people possessed by a demon as I have seen people possessed by their possessions. And it's debilitating. Because our eyes get on the wrong stuff. And we invert the reality of the life that God has planned for us to live. And all of a sudden the world has got to revolve around me. Instead of me being part of what God's plan is. And so that's why we need to kick off this new series with this main thought, God wants me to enlist. You see, there's likely something that you're going to have to let go of. There's something that I'm going to have to let go of. What is it that you need to let go of the grip to fully say yes to God? And what I want you to do this week is this. Just ask Him. Just ask Him. Throughout the course of this week, you just ask Him, God, is there anything that I'm holding on to so tightly that I'm not 
fully living the life the way you planned for me to live it. So you remember Peter's question, and it's our question as well. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? And we want to know this too. And I just got to show you Jesus' response in verse 28. In verse 28 of the same passage of Scripture, Jesus gets to the core of the issue and listen to what he says. He replied, I assure you that, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So these guys are going to get position. And now look at verse 29. Somehow Jesus fast forwards to today in this room with you and me, and he begins to talk about what we get because we ask the same question, don't we? And he says, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Wow. Now, I'm not an investment banker. I know some good ones. And they would tell you any time that you can get a hundred times fold return, you might want to put, put some money in that. Look at me. You might want to put your whole life into that. Because that, friends, is a big deal. And we get so focused on the wrong things and the glitz and the glamour of this world gets our attention so fast. And we allow the world to become me-centric instead of God-centric. And when we do that, the commentary of your life will never be that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing because of the way you're doing it. It'll never happen. So we've been talking about what it means to enlist, and it starts with us needing a paradigm shift. Can we turn the house lights down just for a second? You see, we need to see ourselves as shareholders in the kingdom of God, and every time we choose to invest our time, our talent, or our resources, we're investing in the kingdom of God. Listen to me. The gospel message tells me that that's worth the investment. It's worth you investing your full life into that. But it's going to require you saying yes and enlisting. So this week I got online and I looked up the, the oath for office that officers in the army take. It's a very powerful, powerful statement. Many of you probably heard it before. And when we hear this oath that military personnel have taken as they enter into the military, we, we know that when this oath is taken, it's a life-changing moment for them. It's virtually the same as what we're talking about today in so many ways because it flips people's lives upside down. You see, you can't live this oath in a me-centric kind of way because life is no longer about you. Life is about this great nation that we live in. And the opportunity to afford us the freedoms that we have today to sit here and publicly worship our incredible God. And so officers would make this statement, I, and you put your name in there, having been appointed an officer in the Army of the United States, as indicated above in the grade of, and you'd put your grade in there, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign or domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. So help me God. 
We've heard stories of sacrifice for people that have taken that oath where their life is no longer about themselves. Many times even the ultimate sacrifice. And when you read that, for many of us, we read that and we think, gosh, man, that is awesome. That people would be willing to live that selflessly for me. But as we head into this series This week, we need to be reminded that this this incredible God of ours, who's deposited his account in mine and yours, is calling for us to enlist with him as well. And that unless we do that, the kingdom of heaven will never, never forcefully advance because of you. So God is calling us today to take that kind of oath. And so we're going to sing, we we sang a couple of songs earlier in the service, and we're going to sing a couple of songs now, and I'm going to Invite you, if you would, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to begin to sing this song. And at a point in between the two songs that we're going to sing together today as we finish up our service, uh, Ben is going to pause for just a moment, and we're going to put up the oath that I've rewritten on the middle screen. And I want you to read it. Read it with a prayerful heart. And if you're ready, if you're ready, I want you to make that oath a prayer that you would do some things differently this week so that the kingdom would forcefully advance because of you, because of us, doing what God has called us to do together. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? Father, I invite your presence, which we know is already here, to do an incredible work in each of our hearts and our minds. This is not a game to you. Lord, we need to understand your passionate cry to each of us to fully enlist with you God, it has to be more than just an hour on Sunday. Lord, you want this to be the way that we live. And so right now in this moment, I pray that as we sing these songs, we would reflect on the incredible, incredible God that we serve. We would think about all that you've done for us. And that, Lord, we wouldn't just see that as good news. We'd see that as great news. And then, Lord, will you challenge us to take this next step, even beginning today, beginning tomorrow as we head into this new week, that you would help us and our lives to matter in such a way that the kingdom of heaven would forcefully advance around us. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us now in this place, we pray. So maybe this morning as uh, you've been listening to kind of the challenge that, that we're kind of leaning into as a church to be enlisted, you realize that you haven't made that decision yet. You haven't made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior and to make your life about Him instead of your life about you. And uh, when you saw that oath, that statement on the screen, you knew in your heart God was kind of drawing you towards that statement because you know you need to make that with your life. I want to just challenge you to do that. There's nothing magic about it. It's about Jesus, that He needs to be the Lord of your life, that we've all fallen, as we talked about before, short of His perfect standard. But yet he deposits his pure account, blameless account, into yours. And there's only one way that that can happen, and that's by asking for his forgiveness and inviting him to be the Lord of your life, knowing that what he did on the cross, he did for you. And when you do that, you ask him to be the Lord of your life, and then things begin to change. See, slowly, he begins to chip away at little things in your heart. And listen, we're all on that same journey together. None of us have ever reached a place of perfection. God continues to work on us and just like he did with his disciples and the rich young ruler, he's going to do with us. He knows what it is that holds us back from truly following him the way he wants us to. So listen to his voice this week.
God, will you help us to make this decision? Whether today it's someone for the first time saying yes to you, knowing that they've fallen short of your perfect standard, but now understand the perfect provision that you've provided for us through your Son. Or Lord, for us that maybe have gotten to the place where we are like a zoo around here, that we're not living dangerously enough for you. God, will you help the kingdom of God to forcefully advance because of the way we live this week? In your name we pray, amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, congratulations. We are so excited for you and we'd love to equip you with some resources, some next steps, and a complimentary gift. Just text the word FAITH to 40650. And if today you just need to talk to someone or would like to have someone pray with you, you can call our church office at 303-663-1714 and one of our pastors would be happy to spend some time with you. From everyone here at Plum Creek, have a great day.